It has already been mentioned how much an honor it is for each of us to be able to assemble and to gather today. These songs in which we have together sung, the opportunity of prayer that we've been so graciously given, the characteristic associated with assembling with the saints on the first day of the week. All of these things have already been a tremendous gift and blessing from the God of heaven. And I might invite you for the next few moments to give thought to a lesson entitled, Wondrous Things. And the text we shall use for our consideration is the 119th Psalm, verse number 18. In order to move toward the consideration of that lesson, might I invite you to think briefly about some introductory comments that will hopefully prompt us into thinking about the character and the subject that we'll consider more fully in just a moment. As is well known, I'm sure to all, this is that season often recognized as one associated with giving of gifts. We think about the exchanging of gifts. We often give thought to the nature of the children as they look forward to receiving things on Christmas morning. All the while, as we think about the giving of gifts, might I invite us to give note to, maybe you're in your life and mine. We've already witnessed a rather dramatic change in terms of Christmas compared to what, say, it once was. It just doesn't seem the same in terms of the wonder associated with it. There may be times in your life you can recall when perhaps on Christmas morning with such excitement, such brightness of eyes, you would arise to look with intent to see what it was as the gift that you had been given. Or maybe as you tore open various presents and gifts that had been given, a sense of wonder came over you. But all the while as you give thought to that character of wonder, when I submit that sometimes today it seems to be at least a little bit different but isn't it amazing that there are wondrous things defined and identified in the Bible? It is those to which I would invite you to give thought with me for just a moment. These wondrous things spoken of in the 119th Psalm. That is a, the longest chapter in the Old Testament. In fact, the longest chapter in the Bible. The character of that chapter, though, will be one which we shall not read the fullness and entirety of it. But there is but one section of eight verses in it that I would invite you to consider with me. We're going to read that in just a moment, but here are some introductory comments that perhaps prompt us to think about wondrous things. You'll notice in verses 17 and 18, especially verse 18, the text that was read just a moment ago, reference is made to wondrous things. It is a bit interesting that that word wondrous occurs only 15 times in the English translation of the King James Bible. Fifteen times, and all fifteen of them occur in the pages of the Old Testament, and furthermore, all fifteen of them deal either with God Himself or with something that God either has done or is doing. All fifteen of them relate to the wonder of God Himself. Isn't that fascinating? And yet, when you and I give thought to wondrous things, perhaps it's interesting to notice that word wondrous by definition means to be wonderful. Our God does wondrous things, doesn't He? There are some verses among those 15 I mentioned a moment ago, not the least of which would be Psalm 72 verse 18. That in fact points out to us in very clear language that it is only God that does wondrous things. In terms of the character of that which is able to be done that is wonderful, only God is the Almighty, awesome One that can do those wondrous things. It is somewhat a sadness that maybe you and I are guilty of 
using words like that out of place. Maybe we call various things wonderful. Maybe we refer to them in ways that somewhat lessens the thrust and force of that word. Only God does want truly wondrous things. You'll notice in Psalm 86 verse 10, there again the word only reminds us that it is God that is able to bring about, to do, and to put in order that which is wonderful. When you come near the bottom of that slide, it brings us to the lesson text of today. I would invite you to read as we read verses 17 through 24 of Psalm 119. Let me give you a bit of information about the reasoning as to why I selected that set of eight verses. It may be that as you read the Bible that's in your lap in front of you, you observe that someone over the course of time has taken the liberty of dividing that chapter into sections. That perhaps isn't true most of the time when we read the Bible, but it's true of that chapter. You'll notice verses 1 through 8 seem to form one section. And verses 9 on through verse 16 form the next section and so on all throughout that chapter. There really is something to be seen in the power of that observation. It has to do with this. The Hebrew alphabet had 22 letters in it. We know the English alphabet has 26, but the Hebrew alphabet had 22 letters. The inspired writer, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, in this particular chapter chose to present to us the truth of God in a very interesting and memorable way. The very first letter of the first eight verses of that chapter all are the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The next set of eight verses are such that the first letter of those verses is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The third set of eight verses are such that the first letter of each of those verses is the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And you get the idea that continues all the way through the entirety of that chapter. That means that when you and I give thought to a set of eight verses, each with 22 letters, 22 times 8 is 176, which is precisely the number of verses in that chapter. And so it is in verses 17 through 23 or through 24, we notice that all of these verses will begin with the third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And these set of verses read like, like this. Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live, and keep thy word. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not thy commandments from me. My soul breaketh for the longing that, is that it hath unto the judgments at all times. Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed, which do err from thy commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept thy testimonies. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but thy servant did meditate in thy statutes. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. And with that, that set of eight verses closes. That third letter of the Hebrew alphabet, in case you might be interested, is the letter G-I-M-E-L, Gimel. And so each one of these verses, the inspired writer points out to us the truth of God phrased in language such that each verse begins with that letter. I would invite you to think with me for the next few moments about the wondrous things out of the law of God. That is what the psalmist said in verse number 18. Let's begin our discussion by noting first verse 17. That verse again simply reads, Deal bountifully with thy servant. 
that I may live and keep thy word. Immediately we are led to appreciate as if we didn't thoroughly understand it already that God, the God that you and I worship and the God that we serve and the God whom we love is a God of great bounty. Notice again verse 17, Deal bountifully with thy servant. It's clear that one must appreciate the bounty of God else that kind of request would make no sense. The psalmist pleads with God, urging upon him to deal with his servant in a bountiful fashion. It may be this very morning you and I can think deeply and profoundly about the bountifulness of God. As you reflect on the year 2012 or perhaps the fullness of your life to this point, and you think about the blessings and the honor and all that has come from the marvelous hand of the God of heaven, can't we truly say how bountiful He has been? When you contemplate that bounty, this certainly isn't the only place that statements like that are found. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we notice in verses 8 and 11, the powerful statement that God is able to provide all bountifulness and all needs of your life. No matter what those needs are, no matter what the details may be, the God of heaven in bounty and in generous capability is able to provide. When you and I think about the receiving of gifts, maybe from loved ones or friends or neighbors or others whom we cherish and appreciate, may we never forget the ultimate bounty of the God of heaven. In Malachi chapter 3, reference is made to the fact that God is so desirous and loving of those who are His children that He is anxious to open the doors of heaven and pour out blessings upon them. You and I notice what a sadness then it is when many choose to refuse God. They ignore Him, they neglect Him, they pass day by day through life and never look upward to remind themselves of the One who is the greatest giver of all. Is it any wonder... We notice in 2 Corinthians 9.15, that very same chapter, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. We shall have more thoughts concerning that passage to observe later. But for right now, you'll appreciate concerning God's bounty. Time and again in the Word of God, God's bounty is used as reason for our singing. It's used as reason for the people of God to lift up their voice in praise and adoration to God. I've listed only a couple of those passages in 1 Chronicles 16.9 as well as Psalm 26.7. But as one reflects on the reason for our singing, we understand that God has commanded us to sing and we look forward to times as we have this morning that we can lift up our voice in praise and song. But may we not lose sight that one of the reasonings behind that is a thankfulness to God for the generosity and the bountifulness that He has extended toward usward. God's great bounty. That bounty perhaps is also highlighted in another statement made in this very same verse. Verse 17 again says, Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live. Life itself is a rather tremendous gift that God has allowed us to enjoy. As we walk on His footstool, as we consider our abiding here upon this planet, notice the psalmist said, That I may live. Are you and I thankful each day in prayer for the life we do enjoy? The character of the bounty of the table God has allowed us to enjoy before us perhaps, the clothes on our back, the roof that He has allowed us to put over our head. 
God's bounty is rich indeed, isn't it? And that bounty is also observed in language like this. In Acts 17 verse 28, In the heart of the New Testament, there as Paul stood and preached so powerfully in the city of Athens, wasn't it true that there he said, It's God who giveth us life, and yea, allows us to pursue all the things. It's He who gives us the bounty of that. Even Paul acknowledged it. And even, of course, the poets of the day did the same as Paul himself stated. When you and I give thought to the blessing of life, we understand that as our sojourn upon this planet, our sojourn upon this place is often beset with some difficulties and trials. But who better could tell us about that than David? the writer of the Psalms. And are we not remembering, of course, that there were times that King Saul chased after him, hopeful to kill him? Wasn't it true that he himself had the nerve to face Goliath and perhaps had a bit of consideration and fear? But yet all the while, he here could say that I may leave. That isn't all he said, of course, because several of these verses follow. I would submit that you and I today can still be so mindful of the great blessing of the bounty of God's giving of life. In Genesis 2 verse 7, in the earliest of the pages of the Bible, wasn't it true there that this amazing statement is made? As reflection was made upon the creation, the characteristic of the making of man in His image, we there say that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It was the Lord God that formed man. He didn't come about by some natural process whereby there was no involvement of God. He didn't come about by any accidental matter. Out of choice love and careful determination, God made man the way that He was. The characteristic of all that is the human frame, the nature of all that is the human being, it was God that put that in place. As you and I reflect and think about those matters, think about what Jesus said in John 10 verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. We know there are so many in the world who go about their daily walk of life, but they give no thought to the greatest life of all. They are alive in the flesh, but they're not alive in the Spirit. And I thought that would be a wonderful way to close that particular slide. For after all, the greatest life of all, also available from God, is none other than through His Son. Jesus said in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Think about those that choose to walk in darkness. They choose to give no thought to the church, no thought to the Christ, no thought to eternal life, and yet the bounty of God has made available to the human family not only knowledge of those things, but also the great reward that comes too. Can you imagine living a life without the hope of heaven? Living a life without the hope of the power and majesty and might of Christ at your side day by day? And yet there are m m multitudes in the world that choose to live that way. Tragic? Oh yes. Sad? Beyond description. But the fact is, the bounty of God is all around us. That bounty and eternal life found in passages and even promises like these. 
In 1 John 2.25, this is the promise that we have of Him, even eternal life. Jesus didn't just come into the world that we might live the best 60, 70, 80, 100 years here on earth. It's true that He does allow our life here to be contented and happy. But He came that we might in fact live in such a way that we are in the friendly confines of His eternal arms and we can leave this life trusting and knowing that our home is not on this earth. That kind of bounty goes beyond the thoroughness and fullness of what language can describe. It is true though that the next verse says it like this, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. From this point forward in the lesson, I would invite you to think about wondrous things contained in this book. We certainly won't be able to discuss them all in what few moments we have remaining. But nonetheless, the fact is, the inspired writer said that there are wondrous things in this book. Things that, of course, by our own knowledge and nature, we would never have known. But yet God, by His great bounty and love, has revealed them. What are some of these wondrous things? that not only can make our life here as it ought to be, but certainly can lead us to appreciate the way we ought to live hereafter. God's bountifulness leads us to opening our eyes. Isn't it true and isn't it amazing that our eyes are those particular elements of our body that permit us to appreciate what's around us? We're able to see. That word see often is used to describe perception. It's often used to describe understanding. It's often used to describe the intake of truth. No wonder we give such great concern to our eyes. And it saddens us when we reach the point in life that they don't work the way they once did or perhaps our vision is a bit cloudier than it once was. The psalmist pleaded, Open thou mine eyes. Might I submit all of us ought to yearn for open eyes as well when it comes to the things of God so that we're more attuned to His frequency, so that we are more likened unto what He would have us to be. Those open eyes perhaps lead us to say this. You'll notice about the middle of that slide how needful it is for you and me to have spiritual clear eyesight. You and I need 20-20 spiritual eyesight. We walk by faith. Paul wrote, and not by sight. You'll notice their mention is made of sight, and there truly are many who choose to live and walk by what they can physically see, but Paul was so quick to observe, you and I walk by faith. We have a spiritual eyesight, you see, that's keener, that's sharper, that's more resolved, because we understand that this life, as nice as it may be, we understand Christ came that we may have the abundant life. Open thou mine eyes that I may see. You'll notice in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that is highlighted by the statement of Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you and I notice we walk by faith, then we walk on the absolute testimony of these marvelous truths that the God of heaven has revealed. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth, John 17, 17. And among those truths, we are so quick to appreciate those delighted matters that God has revealed to us. 
In Psalm 119, verse 72, we notice that the Word of God then, the treasures to be found in it are sweeter, richer, finer, more noble than the best of silver and gold this world has to offer. Think about how special then the Word of God is. Where would you and I be without it? We wouldn't know what we need to do to be saved. We wouldn't know about the truth related to the church. We wouldn't know about all the matters of what's required in order to arrive at heaven and their eternal abode. And yet all of that is found within the friendly confines of the marvelous Word of God. Open thou mine eyes. All of us can yearn then for spiritual eyesight keenly devoted to those wondrous things that God has revealed. And you'll notice how some other verses highlight that yearning. In verse number 20 it says, My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgments at all times. As I gave some thought to that verse at its placement in this chapter, it occurred to me at least some new things I hadn't quite realized previously about the way that's stated. I've placed in parentheses, or at least in quotation marks I should say, the literal Hebrew rendering is broken down. The psalmist stated he was broken down over a heartfelt yearning for the commandments and the testimonies of God. That was the most important thing to him. It sounds much like Job in Job 23, 12, doesn't it? When there Job said, I have desired thy commandments more than my necessary food. Amazing, isn't it, that here the psalmist had such a delight for the law of God. He was desirous that it might be opened into his eyes. How do, how do you and I feel about that? If you and I had one wish that we could be granted, what would you wish for? Sometimes we see TV shows and we see novels and books where someone has been granted a wish. Maybe they ask for a lot of money. Maybe they ask for a fine family name. Maybe they ask for any number of things. The psalmist, it seems, pleaded, Open thou mine eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. What would you and I wish for? Would we wish for a keener understanding of the truths of God? Or would our wish be far more mundane than that? Far more physical and earthly and even sensual? Maybe we should think carefully about what we would wish for. May I suggest to you that not only is that true, wasn't it Jesus that said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The word the Lord chose was hunger and thirst, he described an individual so desirous and so longing for those things of God that he searched for it. And it's that that Jesus said, He shall be filled. That is at all that we can see in this particular section of eight verses, though, in Psalm 119. I would invite you to think with me about the human condition as well. For the inspired writer has much to say about that, too. All of us know well about the human condition. After all, verse 19 says, I am a stranger in the earth. That word stranger means a sojourner. It means one who tabernacles for a while. All of us know well that that is the lot of the human frame in this flesh, isn't it? We know from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed to mean once to die, but after this the judgment. And death, you see, is not the end of matter. It's a transition to what for you and me we desire and hope will be a better time and a place in which we're freed from the sin and the bondage and the corruption of this place. 
you'll notice that human condition also is highlighted in the hope that the psalmist has. You'll notice in verses 21 through 24. Notice with me carefully verse 24. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. The instruction the psalmist received, the direction that he enjoyed, the characteristic of moving in the proper fashion he received from the Word of God. No wonder you and I can take such delight in verses like Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. A time of rest for those who've died in the Lord. For those who have left in a prepared way. And so it is as we think about pleading with God to open our eyes. Are you and I prepared? Are we ready having lived faithfully until death? Are we in a position of having obeyed the truth of God? You'll notice that the psalmist is quick to mention a few of the problem issues that can in fact be ours. May we say this though, every problem that you and I face and every matter that with which we must deal, God has provided the answers in this book. It's no wonder the psalmist pleaded, open my eyes. For if you and I will search it with diligence and rightly divide its precious teaching, 2 Timothy 2.15, we shall find the answers to the most necessary, most needful, and most penetrating questions in all of life. Look at just a few of the matters then that highlights our need for this book. We noted Psalm 119 verse 105 earlier. Let's observe that passage again. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We understand that through life there are so many decisions. There are so many choices. There are so many matters that can affect us either negatively or positively. And yet this book provides the lamp to our feet and the light to our pathway. Are you and I as diligent as we might be to pursue it? I would submit that perhaps as the new year comes upon us, if it be the blessing of God, then we know the year 2013 will come before us fairly soon. Are we going to start that with a renewed emphasis upon the Word of God, an intent to let it guide our paths and direct our ways, ever more incessant to open our eyes to the wondrous things it contains? using it to guard our thinking and to guide our language, our actions, and all the features of our life. This book is the roadmap God has given us. May we also have a desire to have open eyes with respect to it. Not only that, you'll appreciate that. The psalmist here mentions a number of problems that he faced, those with which he was aware and those, of course, which you and I face too. Look at just a few of them in passing. In verse number 21, Thou hast rebuked the proud. And immediately we are led to appreciate the possibility of pride and the sin that goes with it. Prideful behavior. David knew well about those with whom he lived in that day and time, and they had dealt in a matter of pride. They had lifted themselves up beyond the degree to which they should, and in that pride they had acted in ways that, of course had led to something he mentions in verse 21. For he says they are cursed. That means that bad things, terrible things, abominable things would be theirs by virtue of the choice of their prideful living. You'll notice one other thing that pride did. 
which do err from thy commandments. And isn't that the saddest and sorriest thing about pride? For someone in pride chooses to think that they are above God, to think that they can do what they want, when they want, the way they want, and therefore ignore, neglect, and otherwise disobey the commandments of God. That pride will lead absolutely to fall, won't it? No wonder all of us are reminded by way of warning in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13 about the matter associated with the ever-present need to be humble. That pride that has appeared here, you'll notice that isn't the only one listed. David knew the need to be humble, to be submissive and responsive. But notice the sin of pride as it appears in passages like Obadiah verse 3. Keep thy servant from presumptuous sin. The famous words of Psalm 19.13. That book of Obadiah simply wrote it like this. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. And pride is a great deceptor, isn't it? It leads us to think more highly than we should of ourselves or perhaps of some circumstance. And we almost invariably are led into error. Beyond the matter of pride, you'll notice... The statement in verse 22, Remove from me reproach and contempt. Not only was pride something that bothered and concerned the psalmist, he also made note that there was a matter of both reproach and contempt. And you'll note his language was very strong. Remove from me. He wanted them not around him. He wanted nothing to do with these two attributes and these matters. And so you and I might ask, what is reproach? What is contempt? Do they affect you and me today just as well as they were a problem to the psalmist? As you see near the bottom of that slide, it is true that the book of Psalms especially speaks often about both of these things. Perhaps in brevity we could just say this. This matter of reproach of course, is that which is an affront. It is that which is against. It is that which seeks to remove or tear down the character of. So indeed, just as surely as David dealt with it, so too do we. By the way you and I live, we can tear down the influence of Christ, can't we? We can help someone else, in fact, be driven away from the truth because they see in us what they ought not be seeing. If we don't live as we should... You'll notice the psalmist pleaded then in essence for a purity of living. God, help me to live as you'd have me to. And in so doing that reproach might be kept at bay, and so too would anything related to contempt. Today you and I know that in a court of law, a person can be accused of contempt of law or a contempt of court. I wonder, are you and I ever guilty of being contemptible to God? Are we ever guilty of reproaching in some way the cause for which He sent His Son to die? If so, what a tragedy for you and me. And why shameful for us to choose to wear the name Christian, but yet perhaps live far beneath our privileges? The psalmist prayed for purity of life. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I would submit to you as we come near the close of that slide... Doesn't it remind us at least in a parallel way about the nature of Paul? As that man approached the end of his life, there were things for which he had regret. 
He had imprisoned Christians. He had, in fact, been the one, the root cause of even holding the clothes when they stoned Stephen in Acts chapter 7. There were things he wished he could have changed. But thanks be unto God, he obtained forgiveness for those things. And as he wrote the last chapter that inspiration has chose to preserve in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith henceforth that is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all of them also that love his appearing. That phrase, love his appearing, would seem to be a fitting way to conclude our lesson. Open thou mine eyes, love his appearing. Do you and I with anxiousness long for the truths of the Word of God and thus base our life upon what is needed in order to longingly look for His appearing. I trust that we all shall, and as the new year approaches, if God's blessing be upon us, that we will strive with greater earnestness to live in faithful harmony to the teachings of the Word of God. In conclusion, may we say this, wondrous things out of the law of God. May we never be blinded to them, but ever strongly desire to appreciate them more deeply. We've looked at the gift of life this morning, but may we say that if there's one or more in this audience for whom spiritual life right now is not that which is yours, realize spiritual life is only available through the gift of the, of the God of heaven, through the agency of His Son. Spiritual life is not something I can give you or even our eldership. Only Jesus can add to the church, Acts 2.47. Only He is such that His blood can wash your sins away, Acts 2.38. Only He can provide the abundant life we mentioned in John 10, verse 10. Only He is the descriptive one in the Revelation who stands as the King of kings and Lord of lords, Revelation 17.14. If today you've never rendered initial obedience to the cause of the Master, what better day could there ever be than this one, the 23rd of December, 2012? You could be baptized into your Lord today. If you haven't attended to that need, realize you must believe with all your heart that Jesus indeed is the Christ, the Son of God. Repent of your sins, confess the greatness of His name as the Son of God, and be baptized. If you have, at some former stage in life, rendered obedience to that initial plan of salvation, but over the course of time you have forgotten about the wondrous things in the book of God, you've chosen to live aside from them and apart from them, why not come back today to your first love, Revelation 2.5? We'd be happy to pray with you and for you today. If you will merely repent and confess those things, we will pray on your behalf to the God of heaven. We're going to stand in just a moment and sing this hymn of encouragement. And if we could be of assistance to anyone in the audience at this particular time, we'd be delighted to help in the way that we can. Won't you come while together we stand and sing?